Welcome to the latest Research Talk podcast. My name is Helen Clare from JISC and I'm your host. Our guest today is Kathleen Shearer, who has been the Executive Director of the Confederation of Open Access Repositories, COAR, since 2013 and has been working in the area of open access, open science, scholarly communication and research data management for over 15 years. She's based in Montreal, Canada, and participates in numerous other organisations to advance open science around the world, as well as being the author of many publications around scholarly communication. Kathleen is also a research associate with the Canadian Association of Research Libraries, CAL, and has been instrumental in many of CAL's activities related to open science, including the launch of the Potage Initiative in Canada, the National Research Data Management Network. Welcome, Kathleen. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional background and interests? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm actually a librarian, a trained librarian. I I received my master's degree in library and information studies in in 2003 from McGill University in, in Montreal, Canada. And I immediately, once I received my degree, started working for um, the Canadian Association of Research Libraries um, and focusing really on issues of open access um, uh, with a particular focus on on, uh, open access repositories and also uh, research data management. Um, And so in 2009, which is when CORE, my organization, the Confederation of Open uh, Open Access Repositories, was launched, I persuaded CARL, the Canadian organization, to, to to join CORE. And I thought it was really important because... You know, we really want to break down silos, um, repository silos at the institution, but also at the national level. So I thought it was very important that Canada become part of a global and international organization representing repositories. Um, And then subsequently, I became the executive director of CORE in 2013. So it's been uh, almost 10 years now that I've had this role. And uh, yeah, time flies. In terms of um, the core's activities, could you give us a, a brief summary of, of, of those? Absolutely. So um, we work at a number of levels um, at core. So we're working on training and capacity building for repositories. Um, uh, we, we act sort of as the global voice for repositories and in international discussions about what their role is in the scholarly communication environment. We've done a lot of work recently around next generation repositories. What is the future? Where where will repositories be in 10 years? And how can we position ourselves to to advance that? Um, And, uh, you know, a lot of advocacy work um, around, uh, again, the value, benefits and importance of repositories. I'm sure we'll come back to to a lot of those activities in in a bit more detail later. In terms of sort of current events, obviously there's no doubt the pandemic has reshaped how research is conducted, but also how repositories are, are accessed. Um, and the crisis has also already prompted significant changes to the creation and distribution and use of research. What is your experience and are there any positives that you can take from it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just been a horrible tragedy for millions of people around the world. Um but some, some positives have come out of it, I think, for, for both science um, and also scientific communications or research communications. 
So I think we've really seen um, much more international scientific collaboration um, related to COVID-19. You know, there's just been a real mobilization of of working together to try to solve the issues um, related to COVID, develop the vaccines. Um, and I think also there's, there's an increased public awareness of the, the important role that science plays in our everyday lives. This was a really concrete use case of how science can really um, have an influence and impact on, on, on our lives. Um, and, but I guess this is also, um, there's also another opposing force <laughs> that we've seen related to this, which is um, the campaign of kind of misinformation around um, science and, and also the vaccines. Um, and I think there's also been really a sea change in, in research communications as well. Um, we've seen like a huge rise in researchers sharing their preprints, so articles that haven't yet been published. Um, we've seen a really dramatic, some um, of the uh, analysis has shown some really dramatic increases in the times of public publishing. So the time from when an article is submitted by the author to a journal and when it's published have been reduced significantly during uh, for COVID-19 papers. Um, in terms of open access, there was such a strong call by governments that articles related to COVID-19 be made openly available. And so the publishers complied with this. And for, uh, you know, probably about a year, most of the publishers have made their COVID-19 uh, related articles openly available. Um, but um, since then, I think a lot of them have closed access again. So, you know, what we really hope is that um, these kind of trends around rapid uh, sharing of, of articles and data, open access um, really remain even after the pandemic is over. And when we think about other um, research challenges like climate change or cancer or social inequality, I mean, why are these issues not important enough to also benefit from, from open access and open, open science? It, it just doesn't really make sense. So just following on from that, you talk about changes in communication and increasing openness. Uh, what role do you think repositories play in supporting open research? Yeah, well, I mean, I think repositories are fundamental for supporting open research. Um, they're, they're basically mechanisms for managing and providing open access to research outputs, you know, a range of research outputs, including articles, but also data and increasingly many other types of, of digital research material. So repositories really ensure that these, these outputs or research objects are, are managed and preserved over time. Um, they're hosted for the most part by um, universities, uh, university libraries, which are long-lived institutions. So there's a commitment there underlying those repositories that, the, that these objects will be maintained and preserved um, so they are available to the research community over the long term. If we look like at the alternative, if we don't have repositories, then what happens is these kind of Research materials are posted, for example, on a web page. And, you know, um, if something's posted on a web page, there's a real danger that 
um, its format will become obsolete after a few years or the web page will be updated and the content on that web page will disappear. So repositories are very important for curating, uh, ensuring discovery, um, applying the appropriate metadata to a research object, and then again, preserving um, those objects over time so that we have this, this uh, record of our, our global knowledge base. In terms of the, the development of repositories, um, I'm really interested in the, the next generation repositories ideas. Could, could you explain a, bit, a little bit more about that and, and what are the benefits or what are the, the new developments that, that you're hoping to achieve through that? Yeah, sure. I, um, I I guess it was 2016 that we we started this uh, the Next Generation Repository Initiative at Core, and what we did was bring together a group of of thought leaders and experts, um, not just in the uh, um, area of repositories, but in in scholarly communication writ large. And we spent about a year and a half looking at. Um, you know, what are the user stories around repositories of the future? And from there, we, um, we identified the specific behaviors and technologies for repositories. And I think the key to our vision around next generation repositories is that repositories are open enough we have a, a distributed repository environment where there are repositories housed um, in many institutions around the world or organizations, um, at, but yet we they are interoperable enough that we can start to build value-added services to connect um, repository content with other services. So I think this is the real um, revolution in terms of our ideas around repositories is that they're not static platforms collecting content and making it available, but they're they're supporting um, active research and they're also open enough to be connected again with other related types of content and services that are out there in the scholarly ecosystem. Um, because obviously that distributed environment that, that you mentioned, it, it's... Um... I'm working on a European Open Science Cloud project at the moment, and, and that, again, is around a distributed environment with, with value-added services over the top. H how do these fit together? I mean, with, how, how does your work fit with other sort of initiatives around the world? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, if you look at uh, the European Open Science Cloud, for, for example, um, uh, repositories will be a fundamental aspect of of that those um, interoperable infrastructures that will make up part of of these kind of uh, global open clouds or now they're starting to call them you know uh, the open research commons so um, they're a fundamental part of that but what we're doing at core now is really identifying the specific technologies that could be used to really um, interoperate these services together. So I think perhaps we're doing some thought leadership around how those services might connect in a more cohesive way, um, rather than just having a number of, you know, a, a, a catalog of different services, we really want to interconnect them. So um, one of the projects that we're working on now to really advance this idea is, is called the Notify Project. And this project is specifically looking at how we can connect an object in a repository with a peer review, an external peer review service. 
So um, again, we're not talking about integrating those two services together. We're talking about using um, linked data notifications to connect, for example, an article, and then an author would be able to send a message to a peer review service to request a review. And we see this as the first use case of how we might um, you know, connect a repository object with another service, but we can go certainly beyond the article in the peer review to look at date, connecting data with a review service or connecting an article with data. So we're really, again, um, hoping to apply a very, uh, a, a very established technology of linked data notifications in the context of the scholarly communication ecosystem, which, which is something that's very new. Okay, thank you. Just moving on now, um, there's growing recognition about the need for greater equity and diversity in scholarly communication. How do you feel open access repositories help to advance equity and diversity? I think this is incredibly important. Um, we've seen maybe a decline in diversity in scholarly communication over the last 20 years with publishers, uh, large publishers buying up smaller publishers or other scholarly communication services. So we, I think it's time now that the community thinks very carefully about how we can ensure a future of scholarly communication that supports diversity and inclusion. And um, repositories are key for this um, because they are very localized and highly distributed. So there are thousands of repositories around the world, as I mentioned earlier, hosted by in many different countries by mainly universities and their libraries. But these repositories, because they're so localized, they can really respond to the different needs of their local communities. So, for example, they can collect content in uh, uh, different languages and local languages. They can correct, collect a variety of different content types. So rather than the, the singular focus we've had for many years on articles and monographs as the main, you know, uh, valued output for research, we know that research produces uh, a huge diversity of other types of outputs, research data, but, you know, lab notes, policy documents, maps, and, and on and on and on. And so repositories are really, again, able to collect and preserve and share uh, all of this amazing content that comes from scholarship uh, in all of its diversity. Okay. Um, despite the widespread adoption of repositories globally, many struggle with low visibility and sustainability issues. What do you see as the under underlying reasons for this and what are the potential solutions? So there are a number of reasons for this. Um, most notably, uh, maybe, you know, 15 years ago when repositories were were being introduced into the as a new service into the to the ecosystem, I think there was a, a strong hope. Uh, feeling that they would have a significant impact in terms of transforming scholarly communications, uh, advancing rapidly um, open access. And then um, when this didn't happen, I think they kind of fell off the priority list for a lot of a lot of um, institutions. Um, the other issue is that you know repositories are infrastructure, and infrastructure tends to be invisible. 
well, invisible until it fails anyway. So, you know, they've been working behind the scenes, I think, or under the radar to support research, but not really, you know, um, again, because their infrastructure, um, they're not, they tend to be somewhat invisible. I do think the pendulum is swinging back um, towards the repository side, um, and and they're having a resurgence. There are a handful of really powerful policy initiatives for open science now that uh, speak directly to the role of repositories, um, such as the uh, UNESCO open science recommendations. There are new funder deposit policies um, being adopted around the world. Um, and of course, there's Plan S, which has very much been in the news and, and it is very visible. Um, but, I, I, you know, we do need to address the challenges that you point to, I think, um, and at CORE, we've just launched a new initiative in July, actually, this year, um, that we're calling Strategy to Modernize the Global Repository Network. And, and this really involves identifying the major challenges for repositories in different countries and regions, because those challenges are different in different places. And then what we plan to do is work with national organizations to develop a really tailored strategy and plan to address the key issues in that region. Um, and so those strategies will involve, you know, training for upgrading software platforms. And this is specifically relevant in developing countries or developing shared infrastructure models so that not every institution has to host its own repository. Um, articulating the case and role for repositories with, with other stakeholders so that they are on the radar and, and more visible. You mentioned uh, funder policies there, uh, which obviously remain a key driver uh, for the transition to open research. What impact do you envisage these policy changes, such as Plan S, as you mentioned, having on adoption and evolution of repositories? I, I think they're critical, actually. Um, these mandates are so important, and there will be the major driver for increasing the amount of content and, and use of repositories. Some of the studies, you know, around research, um, researcher engagement with repositories found that mandates really are one of the most important mo uh, motivators for them to deposit. So, so I think they're absolutely critical. How they will influence the evolution of repositories is a different thing. And I think uh, it's critical that um, the repository community work closely with funders um, or organizations like Coalition S to ensure that the requirements that they would like repositories to adopt are really feasible and relevant for the repository community. If the requirements that they're asking for repositories are too stringent, then you know those policies are likely to fail because they're, they're, the community won't be able to adhere to them. So I think we really need to work hand in hand with um, between the repository community and policymakers. And to that end, CORE has been working with Plan S for several years now, just to make sure, again, that any requirements developed by Plan S are implementable uh, on the ground in the repository community. And what we've also been doing is encouraging national groups of repositories to form either, um, you know, through um, library associations or some other mechanism so that there will be a way for policymakers in those countries as they adopt mandates to engage and have a dialogue with the repository community. 
Something that's quite close to my heart is working with um, the staff who are involved in, you know, running and supporting uh, repositories. And certainly in the UK, there's been a lot of discussion around the skills required for those members of staff. At the moment, there aren't really any sort of professional pathways or, or, or structures for them to work. Do you have any thoughts about anything that could be developed in that area to, to support the um, professional development of, of repository research support staff? Yeah, I mean, I do. We've we've been working a lot in Africa around capacity building with um, some partners there, um, EIFL, and uh, some, some local African partners. So I think a couple of things need to happen. One, repositories need to become recognized as fundamental main service offerings of of libraries and the training around that needs to be to start to be um, implemented in in the library schools i think that should, that would be very important you know managing digital objects and 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 repository management metadata those kind of of issues should really i mean start to be taught in, in the library schools. But in terms of professional development, I, I think it's it's critical and I, I see it really rolling out through, again, like our national associations uh, taking responsibility for developing training for their, their members at the national level. But of course, there's also an opportunity to really share at the international level some of the, the resources that we've developed or have been developing um, in some of the other the other regions. Thanks. So as we as we sort of wrap up, what do you think your is your vision for the international repository landscape in in ten years time? Where would you like us to be? Because my vision is really, you know, a sustainably funded global network of of interoperable repositories, and that really means you know a growth in the current repository network now because there are still a lot of gaps, um, especially in developing countries. But there's a lot of content gaps too, so uh, I think we need to really invest in in research data repositories at the international level as well. You know, we we uh, my vision is really to have this very um, strong, sustainable global network, and then really to build on that network with the the vision of the next generation repositories. So start to integrate um, the content in in that repository network or um, to ensure that it's interoperable with other types of services, including peer review services, in, in improving the discovery of content in repositories, and you know, creating this really lively and innovative ecosystem for scholarly communications. And where do you think um, GIST can fit into that picture? Is we're, we're, our vision is for the UK to be world leaders in technology for research, and what role do you think GIST should play in supporting the repository um, environment to, to to realize that vision oh i think just could have a really a really um prominent role because uh, you know the uk in particular has been one of the leading countries around the advancement of repositories historically um, and I think JISC has always played a role in that in the UK in terms of, of supporting repositories. And now as we move towards, you know, what we call the next generation of repositories, I think JISC, and in particular because JISC is hosting some, re- share, some shared repository infrastructure, could be, you know, an early adopter of those next generation 
generation repository functionalities and really showcase to to other organizations and to other countries uh, the value of this this kind of um, functionality for improving um, how um, we communicate uh, research and and evaluate research as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Research Talk podcast and thanks to Kathleen for a great discussion. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please message us on podcast at jisc.ac.uk.